Um, if you are new, thank you for coming yes. to church this Welcome. morning with us. Um, after the service, go to one of the Connection Central tables out in the lobby area, and maybe outside, I'm not sure. Um, and we have a free gift for you and Ooh. some information. Um, so that is a great thing to go do. Yeah, okay? we really want to get to know you better too. And then check out the bulletin, Men's and Women's Bible Study begin uh, this week. Yep. And whether you, it's your first time here today or you've been here for a while or you're just slightly new, guys, you are at the right place at the right time. Seriously, you could be anywhere in the world right now, anywhere in the county right now, anywhere in five cities, but you're here. And I believe in my heart truly that God has a word for you today. There's something God wants to tell you today. And you know, I'm often reminded of what Psalms 100 says. It says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving of my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Guys, sometimes I just don't feel like it, right? But the Passion Translation says that that's the access code. That's the password to get immediately into God's presence. Sometimes I don't even feel like praying. Sometimes I'm so exhausted. So I have to ask God, give me strength to get out of this, self, this pity party. And I just jump up, start praising God, and immediately I feel like I'm in God's presence. I could feel the Spirit just moving in my life. Amen? And so, if you're able, guys, let's stand up and prepare our hearts for worship. Thank you. 
neighbor and say, there's one reason we're here. Do that. There's one reason we're here. And his name is Jesus. Lord, would we be reminded of that this morning? God, our prayers that we would be united in your image, that we would be united in your kingship, and God, that we would be submitted to your lordship in our lives. God, it is in your name that we pray those words, and we mean them. Amen. As I was going, well, let me just say this. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do this this morning, but I started kind of just getting teary-eyed. I was thinking about, I've got peace that makes no sense in that last line. This morning was a really stressful morning for the worship team and the tech team. We had a bunch of little things going on, and we were climbing up, and all the catwalks and everything. They're little dust bunnies you couldn't believe in this place, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I've got peace that makes no sense, though, standing up here right now, being able to, to lead with these guys and gals in worship, and I just appreciate every single one of them. And I appreciate this church, this congregation. The body of Christ is, is an amazing thing, and we've got peace that makes no sense this morning as we lead with you, and so thank you guys for your grace. This isn't a performance. This is just worship, and, and we are no more important than you are. Your voices matter, and the things that you sing and the heart that you bring to the Lord matters. You're leading, you're leading just like we are, and you're bringing heaven your best, okay? So thank you for showing up too, because if you weren't here, God wouldn't be glorified in unity, okay? So we're a community that's gathered in unity, but the devotion that was kind of uh, just speaking to my heart this week was, was from Ecclesiastes. And as we sing this next song, Open Hands, I want it to be a prayer that we would just unite under to say that we want to bring the Lord our best and our mess. We've sang it before, but let the words from Ecclesiastes in this sermon series kind of inform the words that we're singing. And then there's another song after that we're going to go right into called the hymn of heaven and there's a line in verse three it says on that day we join the resurrection because that's our destiny right we stand beside the heroes of the faith that have gone before us and with one voice a thousand generations including the ones here today sing worthy is the lamb who was slain forever he shall reign hear these words from scripture then i observe them that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. Like chasing the wind, fools fold their hands, their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, it is better to have one handful with quietness than to have two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. So as we think about this next song, we think about living life with open hands and open hearts. What does that look like to take that posture of worship with our daily lives? And then with the next song, the hymn of heaven, would you think about these words from scripture? It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And all that is to say that 
we get to join in the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and the elders and the saints who are a part of Christ's church today. And we get to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so God, we just offer you our best and our mess this morning. Church, take whatever posture of worship you want. If you wanna sit down during these next songs, if you wanna come to the altar for prayer, you may do so. If you wanna kneel at your seat, you can. Or if you wanna just close your eyes and open your hands and receive whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you may do it, whatever you do. I just encourage you to bring everything to the feet of Jesus this morning in worship and surrender to his Lordship. Amen.
join with the image of the angels singing in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We look forward to that day. And until then, God, help us to bring your kingdom of heaven here to earth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Man, I don't know about you, but that song, just getting to stand next to people, um, next to our brothers and sisters, some of you who are, you know, walking through some really tough, tough stuff, but be able to declare the hope that we have in the Lord together side by side. Ah, that was really, really nice. <laughs> well, I'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our offering today. You know, we are in this um, series through Ecclesiastes, and last week, Pastor David um, taught us a word, hevel, which um, gets translated as meaningless, but we learned last week is more uh, better translated as vapor or smoke. And you know, our finances and our money sometimes is one of those things that we want to think is something solid, something trustworthy, something that we can build our life upon. But as many of us have learned in life, it, it truly is. Just when you think you can grasp it, it, it dissipates. But And sometimes if you think about that reality, that can kind of make us feel anxious about life and about certainty of, of life and things. But, but there's good news today because something miraculous happens every Sunday morning as these baskets get passed. And sometimes it's just a routine thing that we do. But something miraculous happens. God takes something that is vapor and he turns it into something that is eternal. And that is the kingdom of God. And that's what happens each and every week. And when we, when we take an offering, when you give of your finances, when you live with your hands wide open and give back to God this thing that is vapor, he takes it and he makes it into something substantial, something that, that changes people's lives, that brings hope into our world. And I just think that that is just something that is so miraculous. So um, before we move any forward, I just would love to just pray a blessing over the offering today. God, everything that we have is from you. And we know that sometimes we are tempted to trust in the things of this world rather than you, God, but we thank you that you are the one true substantial thing in our life, that we can build our life upon you. God, would you take these meager offerings that are, are given with sacrificial love, God, would you take them and would you use them for your glory? Would you use them to change people's lives, to bring hope to those who are hurting? And we thank you that you do that each and every week. Amen. Thank you. Well, speaking of changed lives, um, we have a lot of things going on here at New Life coming up, one of which is last Wednesday. We do this. It's the last Wednesday of the month. We do it pretty much every month. And this, this month, I am very privileged because I get to teach it with my good buddy, uh, Travis Avila. And we're going to talk about what transformed lives actually look like, what spiritual maturity looks like. Because, um, you know, as we become spiritually mature, we're told that we're going to become more and more like Christ, right? So should we all just look and act exactly the same when we become spiritually mature? No. The reality is if we're all going to reflect Jesus in unique and different ways based on our personality, based on our experiences. And so as, you know, the new year starts and we kind of always have these new year's resolutions or goals or intentions, or maybe you're like me and you just realize that it's 2023 and you probably should start thinking about that. This class is going to be great for you, for procrastinators, for anything. We're going to see, like, what could it actually look like, some practical tools to actually be a better representation of Christ by this time next year. So I would invite you out. I'd love for you to come out and come to our class. Um, we're going to have dinner together, so it's a great way to also just get to know other people at New Life because we are a family. So I'd love for you to come out to that. And one other thing I'd love for you to do is today before you leave, um, because of the rain, we're going to be in the lobby for coffee and all those kinds of things. And there's there's also some tables um, in the lobby of some of our partner ministries, um, like World Vision and Lifeline, that we would love for you to just check out the information, see how you can get involved in the way that God is moving through those ministries. And like I said, this is week two of our Ecclesiastes series, Living with the End in Mind. So just take a minute, prepare your hearts, and get ready for what God has for you today.
Well, good morning, New Life. So good to gather together as the people of God to move from the scattered community where we can feel isolated and alone and like we're trying to figure out this whole thing by ourselves to the gathered community where we have community with one another, where we have connection with one another, where we are encouraged to spur each other on in faith, where we bear our burdens to, uh, with one another, where we learn how to forgive one another and care for one another and encourage one another. And so whether you've gathered here at home, uh, I don't think we have anybody on the patio today, but maybe in our lobby, uh, it's an opportunity for us to gather as the people of God and to remind ourselves of who we are in him. Amen? Awesome. Well, if you weren't here with us last week, I want to do a little bit of a review um, from, from last week because I, w- I want everybody to be on the same page. And it's really important that as we go throughout this book, uh, Ecclesiastes, that we understand some of the major themes or lenses that we're utilizing in order to understand this really unique book. And, uh, you know, Elena already mentioned one of those words, that word hevel. Now, you will find, as I said last week, other um, people, it's a transliteration. So some, some people will transliterate um, that hebel with a B. We're using the V because we've encouraged you. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, look up the Bible Project online and watch the Ecclesiastes video. And they use the hevel with a V. Turn to your neighbor and say hevel. And so they use the V, so that's why we're using it. We didn't want there to be a ton of confusion when we would say it with a B, and then you would see it with a V there. So, so that's a really great resource for you to utilize. But in most of your Bibles, in most of the Bibles that you have, um, I imagine that the translation that's utilized there is a, a one of two words, either meaningless or vanities, meaningless or vanities. And so what's interesting about that, as we talked last week, is that the word meaningless is a really difficult translation because what it sounds like is just everything is pointless. When we hear the word meaningless, we think pointless, like as if it just doesn't even matter anymore. And that's actually not what's being said here. The other word is vanities. And we talked about, you know, you're so vain, right? Like we remember, like, like we have a certain context that we understand this, this word vanity. So, so a better translation, you know, as it relates to the original Hebrew language is the word vapor or smoke, vapor or smoke. And so the reason this is important is because what we want you to understand as we read through this is that the teacher or preacher, and the original language there is about someone who gathers people. So in some of your translations, it will be translated the teacher, and other translations, it will be translated the preacher. But the teacher or preacher is reminding the, the, the reader or us today that everything is vapor, everything is smoke. And if you've ever tried to capture vapor, if you've ever ca- tried to capture smoke, it's incredibly difficult, right? And so there's three kind of different lenses that are being utilized here. The first lens is the idea that everything is vapor or everything is smoke. The second one is this. When you think you have life figured out, you don't, right? So that's what it means, like this idea that, man, I think life is tangible and it has these things that you feel like you can wrap your arms around or you can figure out. And just about the time that you think you have life figured out, you don't. And all of us have experienced this. All of us have experienced, man, I thought life was going to look like this, or I thought this relationship was going to look like this, or I thought if I did the right things that everything was going to turn out, and then it does it, and you're like, man, what I thought life 
was going to do in the way that I thought it was going to work. It just doesn't work like that. And the third one, the third lens is incredibly encouraging for us during this kind of New Year's re resolution is simply this. You are going to die. <laughs> Thank you, Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, like, you're sitting there going, okay, so life is vapor. It's not going to turn out always like I think it's going to, and I am going to die. Sweet. This is like really encouraging 2023 stuff, right? But what's so fascinating about this is that Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books. The other wisdom books that we read about, sometimes Song of Solomon's thrown in there as a wisdom book, but the three primary wisdom books are Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And we reminded ourselves as we kind of dive into this that imagine three individuals having a conversation and each one of those individuals is bringing something different and unique to that conversation. And so Proverbs will speak in like axioms and like, if you do this, this will happen. And Ecclesiastes is kind of the wet blanket that says, hey, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't work out exactly like you thought it was going to. You can do all the right things. And so what we have to understand, and this is really important to read Scripture as a whole. If you've never read Scripture, if you're just getting started in maybe a Bible reading plan, we need the whole counsel of Scripture to understand who God is and who he's calling us to be. And so we are focusing in on one area, but we need the whole counsel of Scripture to inform us and help us understand who we are and what God is doing. And so the wisdom, it's so unique. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes is actually this. It actually leads us to become more fully alive in Jesus. You're like, what? How can this happen? How can the wisdom of a book that says everything is vapor, everything is meaningless, and that I'm going to die, how can that lead me to live more fully alive in Jesus. And the reason is, is because when you understand everything is smoke and everything is vapor and you understand that you're going to die and you understand that life isn't always going to work out just the way you thought it was going to, it forces you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything that is trustworthy? Is there anything that I can build my life upon? Is there anything that is foundational that in the midst of all this uncertainty that I can actually trust and the New Testament comes along and says, yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ can be your foundation. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus you can build your life upon. And so this idea that things are vapor and this idea that things are uh, uncertain and this idea that you're going to die, it pushes you to say, I want to make sure that I'm building my life on Jesus. I want to make sure that he's at the center of everything that I do. It helps us to be more engaged in the present. When you understand that things are vapor, when you understand that you are going to die, you begin asking yourself, how do I be more fully alive and fully present in Jesus right now? Because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what's going to happen next week. And so how do I live fully present right now? And the last thing that we're going to spend some time on today is this idea that you begin to hold things loosely because you understand that they aren't meant to last eternally. The things of this world, the things under the sun, as we'll talk about that phrase in a little bit, we hold them loosely and we look to give our lives to the eternal things in this world.
And so the challenge is that we have a human condition that actually moves us to chase after vapor. Like, even you knowing this doesn't mean that's automatically going to shift your desires. Like, you knowing that things are vapor doesn't mean that you're going to shift your desires immediately to go ahead and chase after the things of God rather than the things of this world. There's a theologian, Bono, and he says this, right? I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, whether you're a YouTube fan, <laughs> whether you're a YouTube fan or you watch Sing 2, Either way, you've probably heard that song recently, and, and, it, and it fits so well with the book of Ecclesiastes. So what I want you to know is this is not a new challenge or something that's just kind of come up in the last you know, couple years or something of that nature. From Ecclesiastes all the way through to today, people are asking, this is all there is? What am I actually looking for? And they chase after the wind, and they look under everything under the sun, and they're trying to figure out what has meaning, what has lasting value. How in the world can I make some type of sense of life? And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you've been reading that book, and I encourage you to read that book with those three lenses in mind, um, we're not going to touch on every single passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, but I think that the Holy Spirit is going to utilize, for those of you reading through it, are going to utilize this book to speak to you in powerful ways. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it's like, hey, I'm going to chase after intellect and wisdom, and all of a sudden, I still haven't found what I've been looking for, right? Vapor. Then if you go to, chap if, then if you go to uh, chapter 2, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after happiness and pleasure. And then I still haven't found what I've been looking for, vapor. In chapter 3, I'm going to chase after work and production, but I still haven't found what I've been looking for. It's all just vapor. And in chapter 5, I'm going to chase after wealth and power but I still haven't found what I've been looking for. It's all just vapor. And so as you begin to read through this particular book of the Bible, you begin to realize that the author, the writer, the preacher is saying everything is merely just vapor. And so the question that comes to our mind that we have to wrestle with is, where is my life going then? If it's not going to chase after wisdom and it's not going to chase after wealth and it's not going to chase after uh, happiness and pleasure, one of the things that we have to take inventory of is where is my life going? And this is a really common question that people ask. And you would think that, you know, this is just a question for like people getting ready to go in college or getting ready to graduate from college. Where am I going with my life? But I can tell you at 43 years old, I ask myself quite often, where am I going with my life? And you might be 60 or 70 or 80 years old and you're asking yourself, where am I going with my life? 
Where am I going? What's the GPS coordinates that you've plotted for your life? I had to go down to Pasadena, and every time I go to LA, I, I really just don't want to get lost. So sometimes even when I know where I'm going, I still put in the GPS coordinates, because especially with the road closures and stuff, I want to make sure that I get there as quickly as possible. Can I tell you something? I made it to Pasadena and, and didn't stop once and had zero traffic. That is a miracle in of itself. Amen? <laughs> So I type in these coordinates, and, and I'm reminded as I'm doing this, like, every single day, we are actually kind of wake up, and then one of the very first things that you do, either consciously or subconsciously, is you type in accordance for the direction of your life. Every single day, you get up, and you either subconsciously or consciously, you are pointing yourself in a particular direction, and usually, at the end of the day, you are going to take inventory of whether or not you kind of went in that particular direction, right? And, and so sometimes we do like this, even around our house. We do, we do when we gather together for dinner, we do what are called highs and lows, and we can begin to take inventory of kind of what is going on with our, like what is the trajectory of our life? And so many of us, both at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, think about this for a moment, at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, you determine the direction of your life based on your feelings, how, did, how do I feel things went today? How do, I, what, how do I feel in the morning? What is my feelings at this particular moment? In fact, you would even take inventory of your last year, 2022, and ask yourself this. How do I feel that 2022 went? And what you're saying in that particular moment is you are setting the trajectory, you are setting the de destination of your life based on your feelings. But in Ecclesiastes, um, it, we're reminded that pleasure and happiness in your feelings is like chasing after the wind. It's vapor. It changes all the time. And so it's not the best place to find that. We also sometimes base it on our wants. Many of us have created like these um, categories or these words or, and I have myself, I have a word and I told, told the, those that were gathered here last week, my word is affection or affections. And I'm asking myself this year, where are my affections? Where are the affections that I have? Where are my desires? What are they pointing me towards? What are, are they shaping me in? And we're reminded that, that sometimes our wants or our desires are not actually where we, we think we're going. And, and one author says it this way, what we want to want isn't always what we want. Let me say that again. What we want to want isn't always what we want. What we say we want is to be healthier. What we say we want is to spend more time with family. What we say we want is to um, utilize our resources more wisely and be better stewards. What we say we want is to spend less. We say we want these things, but then we go and we actually just do those things anyway. So what we want, what we want, we want, <laughs> what we think we want, I'm even getting myself confused, we don't always want. And it's challenging. And so the question is, where am I going with my life? Where are you going with your life? Is it based on feelings? Is it based on wants? Is it based on desires? Where are you going with your life? And then chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes begins, and the calling is to look up towards God and listen in to God. 
In fact, some of the language that's used, utilized in those first seven verses is about uh, very similar to language we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it's about binding the law of God around their wrist and placing it on their forehead, that they would have the things of God right before them, that that would be their destination, that worship would be their destination, that care would be their destination, or that worship of God would be their de- destination. And one of the things we need to recognize about God is God is, is undivided in his devotion to you. God is not divided in his devotion to you. He is devoted to you. The problem is we have a lot of divided worshipers. God is undivided in his his devotion to us, but we are often divided in our devotion to him and our worship of him. And so what we find is we're like, hey, you know, I'm going to devote myself to this and devote myself to this and devote myself to this. And all of a sudden, God gets the leftovers of whatever is going on in our lives. And we know this is true in relationships because we even see it in our human-to-human interactions as well. Uh, You know, let's just get really honest here for a moment. Uh, for myself, I have to, this, this constant battle in my life where sometimes it's easy to give the best of David to everybody else and give the leftovers to Dana and my family. You felt that before, right? In your own life. You, you're asked so much at work and you're asked so much in all these other areas that the, that the most important relationships that you have, you actually have the most difficult time giving the best of yourself to. And so you have to ask yourself, am I living for vapor? Am I living for things that actually don't, in the end, really matter? And so Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 says, hey, we need to look up to God and listen to God. And I love, I love what it says. Let me go back here real quick. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4, you might want to underline, let your words be few, right? So often we're trying to figure out where we're going in life and our words end up being way too many. We're not listening to God as much as we want to tell God where we're going. I find myself sometimes telling God, God, it would be really good if life went in this direction. But when when was the last time that you listened to God? That you leaned in and you allowed him to search your heart, to challenge you, to shape your life. And so this morning as we dive into the next several verses, I want you to listen in. And some of these are going to be challenging and some of you are going to wrestle with these. And some of you are going to take these in and say, hey, you know what? I feel like, man, I, 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 the Lord's leading me in a fresh new direction. But I pray we would all have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And as I read that, maybe you're thinking this also. How do you know what enough is? How do you determine enough? And here's what I think is going to be really challenging for some of you who are type A personalities or very black and white thinking people is that there's not a, like, wouldn't it be awesome if it said, um, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless is, uh, how meaningless to think that wealth can bring true happiness. So build your life around, and then it had a dollar amount. (laughs) 
Wouldn't that be fantastic? Like, you'd be like, oh, that's what I have to aim at. That's what I have to go towards. That's, that's the cap. That's the limit. That's the thing that I have to. But it doesn't say that. And here's the challenge is the invitation in this particular area of your life. One that is talked about so much throughout Scripture because the Lord knows how easy it is for, for wealth and money to dominate the affections of our heart. And so it's talked about so many times throughout both the Old and New Testament. The question that you need to have at the forefront of your mind is simply this. Do I trust God? Constantly asking yourself, with this area of my life, do I trust God? And if you know anything about the story of Scripture, if you go back to the story in Genesis in the garden, the number one challenge that Adam and Eve are having, the number one challenge that we have is, are we going to trust God? That, that he knows best. It's so incredibly challenging because it's so easy to go, eh, God, that's some good wisdom, but eh, do you really think that's how things work? Is that really how things happen? See, Ecclesiastes is saying this idea of wealth and money that's perpetuated in our culture is centered around hevel, vapor. And we go, yeah, but it should work, shouldn't it? Like, if I have the house that I want, I have the car that I want, I have the job that I want, and if I have the things that I want and the clothes that I want, and I, and I have the vacations that I can go on, if I have all those things, shouldn't it work that that should bring me some level of joy and happiness? And throughout Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like, yeah, but in the end, it's still heaven. It's vapor. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. See, some of you know that, right? Like, you know, like, I had it, or I had it. And it didn't make me happy. It didn't satisfy. In fact, as we'll talk about in a moment, it actually sometimes creates more challenges. Verse 11. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Can I get an amen from every parent? <laughs> so what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. And I'm reading that, I'm going, you're right. More brings more. But not necessarily more good things, more anxiety, more commitments, more management, more responsibility, more trying to navigate relationships because of wealth. And so the author is saying, hold on a second, like this pursuit actually can can cause some really significant challenges and you need to be aware of it because if you're aware of it, then you will hold it loosely because you won't, you won't want to have to um, have your life surrounded by the anxiety and commitments and management and responsibility of just stuff. When you have abundance, guess what you fear losing? Abundance. How do I keep it? 
And I want to expand this for just a moment because this actually goes into many areas, not just wealth, but when it comes to power, when it comes to wealth, when it comes to success, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to a lot of things in life, once you have it, many of us immediately go, yes, I got it. Now, how do I keep it? Right? How do I maintain it? How do I make sure that I don't lose it? How do I not lose ground in this particular area. And guess what? We find our lives not living in the present, not living our lives in relationship to God, but but trying to protect our success, protect our wealth, protect our stuff. We live with what some people call a scarcity mentality. Once we have it, we're like, I don't know if I'll ever get any more. I want to keep it. I want to hoard it. We resort back to being two years old saying, my toys, my stuff, my money. We think we've grown up, but we still have that mentality. More brings more. More brings more anxiety, more frustration, more concern, more this, more that. I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Stay with me. Verse 13. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun Hoarding riches harms the saver. Now, hold on a second. Under the sun, again, just as a reminder, under the sun is the phrase that the preacher teacher is utilizing to represent life apart from God. So life apart from God is everything under the sun. And so this this conversation here is, hey, apart from God, those who are hoarding riches actually harms the saver. Verse 14. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. Again, welcome 2023. We can't take our riches with us, and this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. If I can narrow down that portion of passage into one simple phrase that I hope resonates with you and challenges you. It's this. You will live open-handed one way or another. Let me say that again. You will live open-handed one way or another. You will live open-handed at the end of your life when it's snatched from you. Or you will live open-handed every single day and hold things loosely and say, God, this is all yours. And when we don't, we live our lives chasing after the wind. How futile. Love the imagery there, right? Chasing after the wind. If you're not quite sure whether or not you want to, like, this is, you know, challenging or, or whether or not you want to do this, here's what I want you to do. After service, go down to the beach and take a bottle and try to catch the wind in the bottle for a couple hours. And then ask yourself, do I want my life to be like that? 
Do I want my life to toil and toil and toil and toil in work, chasing after the wind and come up empty-handed? And so what Ecclesiastes encourages us to do is to put things in the right place. We were putting together a puzzle a couple of uh, weeks ago, and it was one of the most frustrating puzzles that we've ever put together because one of the things that was happening is there were pieces that looked like they should fit, and they actually in some ways fit kind of right, but just kind of right. And then we'd realize, nope, this isn't the right piece in the right place. And so we'd have to go search for the right piece in the right place. And I feel like sometimes that's how we operate in this world, is we find a piece that fits kind of right, and we're like, oh, it must be good. It's when it's really vapor. And until you pull that piece out and put the right place piece in, the picture of life and the picture of what you're trying to do will not come together. And so what Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to do is to recognize these things have their place, but they have to be put in the right place. And Jesus has to be at the center of everything we do. And until he's at the center, not, nothing else can go into its right place. And as we said last week, Many of us, unfortunately, have gotten to this practice where we worship the gifts of God rather than God. We worship the provision rather than the provider. And so Ecclesiastes said, hold on a second. When you focus in on the gifts, when you focus in on wealth, and when you focus in on success, and when you focus in on power, and when you focus in on even your health, and when you focus in even on your good relationships, again, I think we're often looking in church like, what are the bad things in my life? Do you know that even the good things in life can distract you from the provider? Even the good things in life, can, the good gifts can distract you from the gift giver. And so I want to say this again this week because it's more specific to this particular passage. Money and wealth. Money and wealth is an amazing servant, but a lousy master. See, when we recognize that money and wealth is a gift and a servant, we get to send it to do the things of God. We get to say, money and wealth, I want you to go here and I want you to, to carry out the gospel and the kingdom of God and establish the good news. And I want you to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. I want you to do those things. Like It is an incredible servant, but it's a lousy master when it's telling you what to do. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Verse 18. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. That's good. One thing, one thing, that's good. It is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. Well, that kind of sounds good, right? But, but here, let me get at it this way. Chapter 3 dives into this way more. It's a really familiar passage to you. I believe Pastor Gina is going to be preaching from that next week. And, and it's a really important passage because it reminds us that, hey, there is a season for everything under the sun. And part of that enough conversation is recognizing what does celebration look like? Celebration is good. 
I told, you, I told you guys last week, Dave and I were able to celebrate 23 years of marriage last week. It was awesome. We went out for, we went out for a dinner, and our dinner was more elaborate than a normal dinner, right? We, went to, we have a couple places around town when we celebrate uh, special days or important things. We go to these places, and we celebrate, and we enjoy really good food and conversation and fellowship, and we do all of those things Those things are not bad. But if we did that every night, we might find ourselves worshiping wealth and extravagance more than God. So where's its place? There's a time to celebrate and there's a time to mourn. There's a time for these things. And it, is good, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. And God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past, that you might be able to live fully present. So I'm going to give you some language to help you think through this um, over the next uh, week and in, the, in this coming year. And, and it's, the language is this, loving limitations. <laughs> we live in a culture and we are a people that don't love limitations. We love, we love the ability that we are free and we can be whoever we want and do whatever we want and we have no limitations. But this idea of enough is an important conversation that we have with God. There is not a number. There is not a limit. I can't tell you exactly how, how many times you should be promoted. I, should, I can't tell you how successful you should be. I can't sit here and tell you and give you a dollar amount of how much should be in your bank account and how much you should spend on what. I can't sit here and tell you all of those things. And for some of us, we're like, just tell me, Right? But that's not for me to tell you. That is a conversation. Here's the key. Going back to the beginning, many of us have that conversation with, how does this feel? How does this feel? That, as followers of Jesus, should not be our GPS coordinates. It should be a conversation with the Holy Spirit and with God's word on a regular basis basis see some of us do this when it comes to big things in our life but what if you walked around every single day not in fear but in this understanding that I don't want my life to be vapor and because I don't want my life to just simply be vapor and I want to live into the present and I want to be fully alive in Jesus, I'm not asking this question out of fear. I'm asking this question out of wanting to live fully alive in Jesus. What if you walked around every day and the conversation you were having with God is, is simply this? God, is this something that I should purchase? Is this something that I should do? What if you woke up in the morning and you said, Holy Spirit, would you just guide me today? Would you make sure that I don't put my hand to the plow to anything that is, that is not going to bring you glory and honor? Would you make sure that, I, that I'm constantly in communication with you about these things? Because without limits, we are actually wired to continually, continually consume. 
without limits, we're wired to consume, 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 consume. And I can tell you that because there are certain foods that you can put in front of me. And unless I don't give myself limits, I will finish the whole thing. And I'm not talking about normal portions here. I mean, like, we, so we went down to uh, Santa Maria. We, my son had a soccer game, and we stopped by uh, a restaurant, and they have a particular pizza that I like, and they bring out a large pizza. Now, it is thin crust. <laughs> I kid you not, I can eat that whole large if I would let myself. I'm sitting there like, another one, another one. Anybody looking? Another one. Another one, another one. Man, there are just some things that you're like, I will just consume and consume and consume and consume. And we do this with entertainment and we do it with success and we do it with wealth and we do it with stuff and we do it with all kinds of things. We will just consume So how do we enjoy and embrace our life and set limits? Well, we begin here. We we understand that these things are gifts from God. They're gifts. We view the stuff that we have as gifts. And we view, this is the second part, We view ourselves as a steward. I'm not the owner of my stuff. I am a steward of it. See, if it's a a gift for me from God, then I am sitting here and I'm going to steward this gift. Have you ever had somebody give you an extravagant gift and you're like, man, I need to to make sure I'm, I'm handling this well, stewarding this well because this was so unexpected and this was so cool in my life. I remember um, my, my grandfather gave me a, a, one of my first cars. He gave me a car. Um, some of you don't even, these, uh, don't even know what these are, but he gave me an Oldsmobile. It was a grandpa car. <laughs> but man, I kept that car clean and I washed it. I didn't care that it looked like a grandpa car. It was big. I, mean, I could fit like eight of my friends in there. It wasn't even a minivan. <laughs> like, like, but I, I took such good care of that car because my grandfather had sacrificed and gave me that car. It was a gift to me, and I wanted to honor that gift. See, we live in a culture where even sometimes gifts people just consume and throw away. But the people of God are called to live and act differently. And so when when God gives us a gift, we look at that gift and say, apart from you, I wouldn't have this. So I want to steward this well. And I want to honor you with it. And I want to glorify you. So the gift of children are to glorify God. The gift of relationship and friendship is to glorify God. The gift of marriage is to glorify God. The gift of my job is to glorify God. The gift of my house is to glorify God. The gift of my car. There is nothing that is a good gift from God that isn't meant to glorify him. But we use it to consume. The gift of a good meal. And fellowship and friendship is to glorify God. But we're sold this bill of lies that says, man, I don't want to set limits in my life. 
I don't want to use and steward these things wisely. I just want to consume them. The problem, with, problem is that unlimited freedom is not actually freedom. This is something that is so, like, we think that what we want is unlimited freedom, but, but actually, unlimited freedom, too many options is not freedom. Ask, some, ask a student right now who's getting ready to go to college next year, and they have gotten into all five of the colleges that they wanted to get into, how easy making that decision is. It's incredibly, if you get offered three really good promotions or jobs, how, more, how much more difficult is it to make that decision, Right? If you're looking at, if you're in the store and you've got three things that are on sale, like, oh, which one should I get? You're just hoping for that, like, buy one, get three free, right? (laughs) But options become overwhelming. We live in a culture of overwhelming options. And if you've ever been outside of this incredible, wonderful country that we get to live in, and you go somewhere where their options are more limited, there is something that has, you can talk to anybody who has ever done mission work, who has ever been in a village where there's limited resources, and there's one thing that almost, I have heard from almost every single person that has ever gone somewhere around the world where their resources are more limited. I can't believe the joy that they have. It's because what they have might be limited, but is seen as a gift. How do we live our lives in such a way that wealth and money is seen as a gift? We hold it. it will be snatched from you at the end of your life. You can't take it with you. Or you can see it as a gift and as a servant in order to be a part of eternal things. So a couple of thoughts to end with that you can write down to process this week. How is money serving God, family? How is money serving God, family, community, celebration, and my dreams? How is, God, how is money serving that? Or is it serving other things? And maybe even categorize it. Budget it. How much of my money is going to serve God? How much of money is going to serve family? How much is going to serve community, celebration, dreams? All of these are appropriate. But anybody who doesn't have a budget will tell you they don't know where their resources are going. So it's just kind of, oof, gone, vapor. Versus being intentional. And then asking this question, what limits are necessary in any of these areas? What limits are necessary? The second question is this. During this season, what are my gifts from God? During this season, remember, your gifts in one season may not be your gifts in another season. During this season, what are your gifts from God? And how can I create limits to maximize those gifts? So here's what I mean. If you're in a season where you have young children, and, they are, and, you, and you're in a season where you're viewing those children as gifts from God, and yet you're, pull, you're being pulled to climb the corporate ladder right now, what do you do? You're like, tell me, pastor, what should I do? How do you have a conversation with the Holy Spirit? How do you seek wise counsel? How do you seek God's word? And ask yourself, in this season, where do my limits need to be? Do I limit my time with my kids? Do I limit my time climbing the corporate ladder? 
Someone's getting an answer right now. <laughs> oh. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together, we can learn and we can grow, we can hear from you, God, we can laugh together. We are encouraged, God. God, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to stumble around in the dark in this world, but God, you have given us wisdom and guidance to light our pathway. The only question is, God, will we choose to walk in your ways? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Love for you to stop out at one of the um, ministries that are out there at our connection kiosk. Also, if you want to know, to know more about who Jesus is and who he can be in your life, we always have our prayer team up here at the front. They would love to share with you how to take your next step towards a relationship with Jesus and how to walk in his ways. As you go today, may you hold the things of this world loosely and may you choose to trust in God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.